Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode seven of the Life Behind the Trig podcast. <laughs> Almost forgot the name there. Um, we are joined this evening by your regular hosts, myself, Kyle Randalls, Sinclair Patience, and our guest this evening, all the way from the United States of America, is Ryan Stewart, aka Stru. <laughs> is it Stru Squatch? Stu Squatch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, thanks, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate you taking the time out to come on. Oh, happy to be here, guys. Always fun talking Highland games. Do you want to give your uh, yourself a little introduction, a little CV of your uh, your your, your favoured your favoured achievements? Yeah, you know, uh, favoured achievements. That's the hard part is picking the favourite. But uh, being a Highland game pro for uh, eight years, definitely one of my favourite achievements. Uh, Denny Stone Lifter, Husenfeld Stone Lifter. Uh, have lifted stones, historic stones in Sweden, Iceland, and Scotland. And uh, as soon as those borders open up, hopefully another another country. What do you have on the on, on the on the map, so to speak? Yeah, looking to go to the Faroe Islands. Uh, they've got some really really big heavy stones that are called halves there, and uh, it's it's an expensive trip hard place to get to but uh that's definitely the next target that i also have some locations in east iceland that i'll try to hit also but I'm not sure how far out that will be i mean it sounds fair to say that you're sort of putting some more obscure stones to be lifted on the map i mean i, I know i know i've seen sort of some of your stuff online and you've been am i right in saying you've sort of mapped out some stones in your local area yeah, uh, because it's hard to get out and go to these other countries. It can be expensive. Uh, and I really tried to bring that whole experience of stone lifting to Utah for the local people here. And so these stones are spread out, and they're all within, yeah, three, four hours of each other. When I, well, I say that. We got a lot of them right here pretty close to the Salt Lake area. But then from Salt Lake out, there's the furthest one, I believe, is three hours. But, um, yeah, it kind of gives you that same feel of going on stone tour in Scotland. we got a lot of beautiful areas. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun for our local people. And they get that whole experience without having to be out a ton of money and a lot of time. And kind of gives them a, the ability to work up to the stones that are in other countries, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, we do have a sort of structure of questions we'd normally ask Ryan, so we'll just ask them away and we can veer off whenever we veer off. But the question I always like asking is, how did you get into the Highland Games heavy events? Uh, Mine was kind of a funny experience. Uh, I walked into my gym when I lived in Palm Springs, California. I'd been dabbling in powerlifting and strongman a little bit and and one of the guys at the gym, his name was John Gallagher, and I had never met him before. And the girl at the desk said, hey, you know, you're here to train with John. I'm like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And uh, it was really odd. And she came down and introduced us in the gym and we're looking at each other all weird. And, uh, and she's like, oh, you know, I do Highland Games. And I'm like, well, I've always wanted to learn that. And that was it, man. We were friends from then on. And. He taught me for about a year and a half, if I remember right. He was top 10 in the United States at the time. He was the world stone champion. And uh, 
yeah, great guy, learned from him, and that was it. Got the bug and thought about nothing else for the last decade. Hey, so, Ryan yeah. Sink, um, how's it going? <laughs> Good. Um, so, just Ryan, obviously, uh, cool, cool story about how you kind of got into the into the games. When you mentioned John Gallagher's name there, um, I'm sure I kind of learnt the front on, so the modified South African, from watching an old clip of him throwing. It might be 2004, possibly. Um, the old Ryan Vieira clip. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. And does it not have footage from? above like drone footage as well yeah from what i understand they they brought in like a ladder and viera <laughs> put a camera up above the trig to do that video and it's probably one of the best stone videos out there for lo- learning the south african now go figure i was trained by the world's stone champion and can't throw a stone for shit so <laughs> that didn't work out well for me but yeah no, john we- he was a hell of a stone thrower yeah, he looked like a pretty, uh, a pretty explosive guy, but um, no, I think that's, you know, it's funny how how people, different people, get into the sport through through different routes, and sometimes all it takes is is one person that's that's already been kind of bitten by that bug, um, to to get you going. But you said that you were you were a pro thrower for I think it was eight years. You said, um, I I threw with you in. 2009, I think it was, in Minnesota, yes. was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah um, that was a great time. That was a good, a good game. I was, I, we've talked about it on a previous podcast, but, you know, there was a good, really good field of athletes. That, that was my first ever uh, trip overseas. But was that your last season as a, an amateur then? That was Amateur Worlds, wasn't it? That was, yeah. And actually, I had injured my knee really, really bad uh, two weeks prior to that game. And uh, I was throwing the best I had ever thrown in my entire life up to that point. And I I was out training hammer, and I came around on my first wind, and my patella dislocated while my hammer boot was still dug into the ground. And it grinded and tore off a big chunk of cartilage in my knee. And my, my knee swelled up like a grapefruit. And it was, it was really, really bad. And, yeah, I, and it was just two weeks prior to that. And so I went in and gave a hell. If you remember right, man, I, I, I could hardly even pick the cable. I had to stick my leg way out to the side because I couldn't even bend my knee. And, yeah, well, I, remember, I remember you had the big, uh, the big brace on. Yeah, it was so bad. And I started getting uh, uh, Synvisc injections in that knee shortly after. And it hampered me for about about halfway through my 2010 pro, first pro season before my knee really started feeling better. And uh, then after that, I, I was fine. But, yeah, it was, it, it was a rough nine months with that knee injury. It was, it was pretty bad. Yeah, because throwing such an explosive sport, I think um, it, injuries like that can be tough, and it's often it's just a confidence thing, isn't it? But um, so yeah, that was our, obviously our first time throwing together, and then you made a, a trip to Scotland with uh, Nathan Burchett, where you've also thrown against Kyle a number of times as well. So do you want to just talk a bit about your your throwing trip to Scotland? Maybe some of the differences you found in. U.S. games in comparison to Scotland, and I know you've since yeah. made a number of trips for 
for stone lifting as well, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into. But um, talk about your, your first trip to Scotland and, and that experience. Yeah, uh, traveling there with Nathan was just one of the best experiences of my life. And you know, Nathan's one of the best human beings with one of the best families you'll ever meet. Uh, love him and his brother to death. And, uh, yeah, going over there the first time, didn't really know what to expect. You know, you hear all these stories and, you know, the myth that you always hear is, oh, you know, five, five events over there is a full game. And then you're out, and, you know, only about a three, four hour games. Da, 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 da. That's all a lie I found real quick. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, every game I threw at had eight or nine events, but, um, yeah, you know, you prepare as best you can based on what you know. And I, I talked a lot to Sean Betts before I came over to kind of get a feel for what I was looking at with the games that I was going to. And the difference between throwing in Scotland and throwing in the U.S. is is pretty big. And in the U.S., I feel like your numbers, your capability to throw bigger numbers is there because you only have one game a week. And sometimes, you know, it's only two, two games a month, three games a month. And so, yeah, you're, you're pretty well rested. Whereas in Scotland, you're beat to death. And you, you're basically, once you start wearing down, you're, you're throwing on technique alone. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a great experience. I, I love the way it is over with you guys where it's, you know, one group, one open class and, you know, may the best man win, and I really enjoyed that. I, th I think, would you say that that sort of difference in the game, so obviously a, a number of Scottish throwers do a high number of Highland games, and I think in, in our first episode we, we talked about it, but, you know, some of the guys are known to do maybe up to 40, 45 games a year. So I would say in general, um, American and, and Canadian throwers tend to be probably a bit a bit stronger in the weight room than Scottish throwers. Um, maybe not in all cases, but you know, in general. Uh, yes. you've you've certainly put up some some massive lifts. Um, and I know in particular you've you've still been working hard on your deadlift. D did you not pull a, a pretty big deadlift recently? Yeah, um, I pulled 700, uh, 700 plus again, uh, December, uh, made another run at another 700 pound deadlifting competition in February. And uh, my good friend, uh, uh, Andrew Hobson, he, he's part Navajo and he was looking for some, some help fundraising for for some of the people that are having a hard time with covid you know out on the reservation and he wanted asked me to pull 700 and donate some money and so it was a kind of an unscheduled day i wasn't supposed to pull from the floor that big but uh i figured i'd give it a go for him and was able to get 675 pretty easy yeah. and uh yeah it's deadlift something i've always enjoyed mm -hmm. it's my favorite lift by far and definitely take more pride in my deadlift than the other stuff. Not not a great presser. Nothing, you know, my squat's okay. But yeah, I do I do believe that the the fact that we only throw in a few games each month allows us to hit the weight room and hit some bigger numbers. 
my first experience throwing with a, a Scottish thrower was actually with Craig Sinclair at uh, IHGF Worlds there in Dana Point. Oh yeah, and I'd never never thrown with Craig. Just seen video and stuff, and seen some of his numbers online from you know some of those sites over there, and didn't really know what to expect. I had no idea he was as good of a thrower as he was, even outside of the hammers. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was my first really eye opener as to how good the Scots were all around. Very well rounded. And when you guys get a chance to rest and come over here and throw in one big game, you guys usually do very, very well. Whereas when we go over there to throw with you guys, you know, you're, you're doing your everyday thing, throwing three, four games a week. And at the end of one week, we're, we feel like we've been hit by a truck. And uh, I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for the way that you guys do it over there. And it really – shows why you guys are such great throwers because you throw a lot i think that is one of one of the big things is you know just unintentionally really get getting a high number of reps in through through competing um but i think we, we were chatting a wee bit before the podcast there and uh kyle you mentioned that uh you could do uh, with some help with your uh, your strength levels <laughs> right ryan's coaching now so uh <laughs> yeah i mean i, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sorry it's all right i wouldn't class myself as a strength thrower i would say i probably i'm a little more i mean dare i say this explosive um yeah. i've always got to buy in for want of a better word a bit of mongo strength as it's called as it's always been dubbed <laughs> um but yeah i mean in terms of bar strength like my best deadlift's like 260 Um i've squatted like back squat like 220 and uh my best bench is maybe like 140, 150. I'm not a, I'm not a big strong guy. I know Ryan, you've you, you've obviously dabbled in powerlifting. What sort of totals have you put up? You know, equipped, non-equipped. You know, what what, what have you got? Uh, so I, you know, back in when I was doing raw powerlifting back in my early twenties, uh, my best bench was only about 415, and uh, that's. 415 pounds, not kilo. And uh, as far as deadlifts back then, yeah, I got into right around the 600s uh, before hitting the Highland Games. Uh, as far as squat, I think I was only like in the high fours, low fives at that time. But, you know, the geared lifting that I do now is really just for fun. And being that I'm getting older, I'm 41 years old and having the the briefs on and in the shirts and stuff really helps to keep you healthy and you are able to lift you know a lot more weight but it, it really at the end of the day instead of it feeling like you have a heartbeat in your hips and knees it it doesn't feel that way anymore with the geared lifting and that that's why I've gone a little more that route just just for fun and to keep myself a little more healthy I think it is fair to say you do you do own and operate your own your own gym black uh, black flag Strength and fitness. Um, I'll put yes. a little link below if anybody's interested in having a having a swatch at Stu Squatch. <laughs> That's the worst thing I've ever said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, certainly not the best, Kyle. <laughs> uh, so Ryan, I know you coach a lot of a lot of people through through your gym, um, but you, you've also kind of made a shift into uh, running Highland Games clinics and. and coaching individual athletes as well um how, how many do you do you have on the books so to speak 
You know, as far as the, the athletes that I train for Highland Games in our gym, um, I, I would say like four or five, all, all local throwers, obviously. Uh, but as far as like online, I program for many, many throwers across the country and, and actually a few even in, in Germany. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It allows me to kind of stay connected to the sport. I really still love the sport a ton and, and have really continued to study as to what makes things go far. And even though I don't throw anymore, yeah, you know, I get to kind of live through all the people that I train and really enjoy that. That's brilliant. And it's good that you enjoy coaching as well. I think you see a lot of people make that shift um, and you always get the impression that, that they don't enjoy it. But from what I see and, and what you post, um, you know, it's, it seems like you, you really enjoy helping people um, to sort of progress, especially within the Highland Games, but also just generally as well. Yeah, and I, I've, I've always said, you know, the Highland Games gave me uh, a great life. I really, really enjoyed my time throwing and definitely one of the best 10 years of my life. And, yeah, I always say uh, the Highland Games has gave me a lot. If I can even try to give back even a small amount as what it's given me, uh, I'm going to die trying. So, yeah, I, I love the sport. Uh, we'll always love the sport. And I try to kind of pass on my love of the sport to others. And, and you know, the quicker you can get somebody throwing well, they tend to stick to the sport and love it just as much as you. And I just try to pass that on. See, yeah. I find yeah. it interesting you've said that. We've brushed on this previously. That the Highland Games is, I mean, in my opinion, has a give back mentality. So for, say, you know, decades you compete in the games like say as a heavy you then give back in terms of either judging or coaching and i think it is a it's genuinely ingrained into the culture of the sport i know it's something i'll hope to do and it's it's really really awesome to see you doing the you know <laughs> you, you, you doing what what keeps the sport running and ticking over yeah and i i've always kind of i never understood why more of the retired pros didn't stick around and coach more and you know, we beat the crap out of ourselves, and I, I think you, you love the sport so much, it's hard to not be throwing, and I think that's the reason why a lot of guys don't get into the coaching. It's just they want to be doing it, they just can't, and I think that kind of hurts. But, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I try to run games, uh, try to help out here with our uh, Utah Heavy Athletics and help them do – make the games better here in Utah. But yeah, te teaching the, the athletes and allowing them to, to kind of feel that love for the sport like I do means a lot. That's cool, right? And um, I think you've obviously talked about some of the differences in, in US games in comparison to, to Scotland, and you've, you've had some really good trips with the Highland Games. Um, would you be able to identify some of your, your best sort of moments, memories, or, or even individual Highland Games? I know that's quite a tough question, but um, you, might, you must have some, some real standout moments from your, your sort of 10-year career. Definitely. Um, I would say, as far as my favorite games, 
Um, it kind of comes down to three. I, I really feel that the best games in the world is uh, Celtic Classic there in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is our Super Bowl for our pros here in the United States. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to go twice, and it really is an amazing game. Um, but outside of championship games in the United States, there's really only two that come to mind, and it's Alaska and uh, Estes Park, Colorado, are, are without a doubt two of the most beautiful games you'll ever go to, and they treat you very, very well. And it's a great place to be. Yeah, just good, good environment and far throws or favorable. Yeah, Estes Park. <laughs> Yeah, Estes Park, you can throw really far because it's, it's up in the Rocky Mountains, even higher than uh, Denver, which is already a mile high. And uh, so, yeah, big numbers, beautiful scenery. Alaska, even, even though it's not a, a high elevation, there's, uh, uh, there's some big throws up there regularly also. But Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, for sure, number one games in the U.S. Now, my favorite games in Scotland, I always have to kind of explain this. My favorite one is Durness. Oh, and yeah. I threw there with you, uh, Sink, back, uh, right. back in 2015. And, man, Durness, not a huge crowd, but it's like everybody in the town. But that's probably the most beautiful games I've ever seen. And I always say that it's Highland game or heaven. When I die – I'm pretty sure my soul goes to Durness. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a lovely field. It's like the end of the world. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I mean, we had the, 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 your Air Force fly over for that little tiny game, and then there was like a battleship that came rolling by. That yeah. kind of tripped me up. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really cool field, and uh, there's, some, there's some nice implements there as well, not, not all of them. Um, I was laughing thinking about your your trip actually because I think that year you'd been throwing the you'd been throwing the heavy weight very well and uh, yeah. I know you'd been looking forward to Holkirk. Oh um, no, this story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Kyle, I think Ryan had been throwing mid mid forties and then uh, got to Holkirk and warmed up really well and then of course uh, after two throws. Uh, Alistair Gunn made the decision that we were only getting two throws. <laughs> <laughs> two throws. Yeah, I tried my very, very hardest to get him to give us one more throw. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was throwing about as well as you could throw, and I think I was in the mix with the uh, Ventas, and uh, he was not having it. There was no way he was going to let me throw that heavyweight one more time, and. <laughs> I basically said, man, I've come a really, really long way to throw here. You know, if we can just have one more. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah not one of my more fine moments there. But And then later on, he, he decided to not really give me a warm-up on weight over bar because I was taking a piss. And, uh, <laughs> and I came back, and he's like, all right, you're up. I'm like man, I, I haven't even taken a single throw. And, yeah, that didn't work out real well for me either. <laughs> no, I think that's, uh, that, that's Alistair's sense of humour. We're, we're hoping to get him on the on the podcast at some point. So. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, a, that was a rough one. I had a lot of fun that day, but that was rough. It's it's something that's come up on, on most of the podcasts, Ryan. It's not really 
something we aim to to kind of proactively discuss really but it does it does tend to, to crop up the Celtic classic um that's that's one of few games which are drug tested in America is that is that correct correct and and they're really the only one that does it and does it right um, they it is a very very legitimate test and they test all 10 competitors and uh, so yeah it's it is the most drug tested with real drug testing in our entire sport in our in the United States yeah. uh, there's a few other games that claim to test and test legit but they're completely full of shit yeah <laughs> it's good to see that from a from a national championship so um as you know in Scotland we've obviously got um as well as long as Highland Games are are registered with the Scottish Highland Games Association which which most are now um drug testers can can show up at any time um and if if you're competing you you can be tested which for us um we we like you know because uh it just gives that sort of quality assurance to to what we're doing, and I know people all sort of mump and moan and say that's holding the sport back and it's a massive barrier. But we certainly, as athletes, don't see it that way, um, and we would we would definitely kind of endorse drug testing at games. I know you're of a similar opinion. Yeah, me and you have always been on the same page when it comes to this, and. It's something that I've always tried to carry the torch on. Uh, you know, guys like Vieira and Betts and McKim, Doherty, you know, we've always been on the same page and have a very strong opinion when it comes to, you know, being a clean thrower and not being a dirty thrower. And, yeah, yeah, I really respect the way that they do it in Scotland and – I'm glad you guys have it the way you have it. And I really wish we had that over here. And I, we're working towards that. I, I still work with a lot of the guys who still throw to try to make that happen and get more drug testing. Uh, I'm lifetime drug free. And look, if you want to take the stuff, fine. Just find a different sport. You know, there's strongman, there's powerlifting, and they have divisions that are okay with that. But for me, if you're going to throw in the Highland Games, you need to be clean. It's the way it's always been. And, yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot of respect. It's not so much the athletes that I have the big problem with. You know, you have friends with a lot of those guys, and I would never, you know, make a run at them and, and try to ruin any sort of friendship there. No. Uh, my My problem that I have is with the athletic directors – because they know it's supposed to be clean. There's no excuse for them to turn a cold shoulder on the drug-free athletes and let these guys do whatever the hell they want. Um, so, yeah, my, my fight has always been with the athletic directors and, you know, well, one particular athletic director who I've gone to war with many times and – Really, yeah. if, if he would change his mind and do things the right way, it would change the entire sport. But uh, I, think I, it, I think it's a tough one, um, or can be a tough one as well, in that all, all you need to do is, is implement testing. Um, you know, and if, if that's done effectively, 
there, there really are no no issues, um, you know, and it often cost comes up as a as an argument, but I think for the athletes, it's it's something that that should be implemented. Uh, but until we've got a worldwide federation, um, I can't I can't really see it getting there. But it's nice to hear that steps are being taken um, in the US to to get there. I think on on that note, where do you see? The sort of future of of Highland Games. So we we had Scott Ryder on a, a few weeks ago, and um, <clears throat> it's it's not an easy question to answer, but something that that we talked about um, were maybe more collegiate athletes coming in. Certainly, over, over in the states, um, things are very different in Scotland. Where do you see the sport going um, in the states? Well. Um... I really, it's been building and building and building for a long time. The growth in the sport in the United States is huge. And um, I, I do believe that this whole coronavirus thing has really punched the Highland Games right in the mouth worldwide. But, yeah, there's a lot of games that are not going to exist next year. Because a lot of these games are, are year to year and they don't really, it's not so much, they're not really saving. And I bet we see a lot of them go, go under. And yeah. so it's going to be interesting to see what happens being that the sport was doing so well leading into this. And then this hits and we're going to see probably, my guess is 50% of the games go away. Oh, really? But yeah, but what I what I also see happening is even though the big festivals may go away for a short time, it, it'll kind of go back to the things the way they were. I kind of as I was coming up as an amateur, where there was a lot more backyard games and smaller games put on by just local people. The sport will survive because there's just too much love from so many great people in the sport. So it'll never die, but it's definitely going to take a little bit of hit at the the big festival. Is it yeah. maybe is it maybe a case of the top level perhaps not surviving and maybe having to ha- go through a sort of resurgence, and you'll see maybe yeah, the rise of the I amateur, definitely. so to speak. I do think that I, I think guys that were going to go pro this year or, or even next year are going to really rethink that because. There's not going to be a tremendous amount of money in the sport for maybe a year or two uh, to pay those pros. But, um, yeah, the amount of games for pros was already kind of in a decline right now as it was, and then this hit. Yeah, it it could be pretty rough for the pro class coming up, but the amateur stuff I think will definitely take off. I know you said the pro class was in a decline. What is it that's actually causing that? Is Is there a... You know... Well, when when uh, when I started, the amount of games in the West Coast of the United States, so in everything west of the Mississippi, there was a lot of pro games. And I can count, boy, probably a good 8 to 10 that had a pro class that don't have a pro class anymore. And I, I honestly think that the big reason for that, all those pro classes in the West Coast – was because of guys like Ryan Vieira, uh, Dave Brown, and uh, Ken Lowther, you know, all California throwers. And they did a lot of work to make sure that they had places to throw. 
And once Ryan retired and some of those guys that were really keeping those games going, once they retired, those pro classes just went away. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing we've previously discussed is in, in Scotland, when you're competing, you have some amateur games, or they're, they're dubbed amateur in the South, um, despite the fact you still receive prize money. But there's a sort of different rules in, in terms of you can use two hands in the weight events and you throw it from within the confines of a circle. But th- this is what I try to tell people uh, whenever they ask me about the amateur professional thing. In all honesty, in Scotland, it doesn't matter. But in America, it's like, I don't want to say like coming of age, but th- that's the sort of comparison you could draw, right? I mean, you kind of need to earn it. You need to earn it. And that's something that's been lacking in the last few years. Uh, uh, definitely three to four years. Yeah, you, you need to do your job as an amateur to travel the country, meet with the ADs that, that have pro games, and you know build that rapport and get to where your name is out there because numbers aren't everything and if you're not well liked you're not going to get into games so these athletic directors need to see your face and know who you are and in the last three to four years there hasn't been a lot of that guys just kind of throw big numbers at their local games and then say hey i'm going pro well that's fine and dandy, but nobody knows who the hell you are, so you're not going to get into anything. And it kind of, if it doesn't end their career completely, it definitely makes it to where they're only throwing in maybe a game or two a year. So And, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a different deal. So in that instance, I'm assuming if someone's maybe thrown locally and they've got some good numbers, if they were to go to, you know, one of the bigger pro games and perhaps not perform to the standard that they've uh, they've posted would that would that go negatively i assume then or you know you know well, can... they wouldn't even they wouldn't even get into those games at all that's that's the difference here in the united states is it's all invite only so you can't even show up to a games like you can in scotland where you just walk onto the field we don't have that you have to get an invite an email or a phone call from the athletic director saying hey you know will you come out and throw so yeah if you haven't done your job and got your name out there and done it's just so much more than throws here whereas you guys you can throw big and go walk onto any field you don't do your job here you're not going to have a pro career right i guess it's quite a big difference that isn't it you know in scotland you can turn up to any games you can you can act like a bit of a dickhead all day um and still walk away with prize money um you won't do that yeah. for long, though. I, I think you'll be, you'll naturally be kind of ousted um, by the athletes. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, there's there's only a certain tolerance of of a, a core group, um, and as much as the, the games are pretty op- open and, and welcoming, um, we we quite like to see the 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 judge pull the tape tight for for some folk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely is different over there. And, and I'll tell you what, the Highland Games is, is great for weeding the bad ones out. If you're a <laughs> kind of a, a shit human being, the Highland Games will weed you out real quick. It does happen quickly. Um, so interesting sort of discussion there about the future of the sport. What about the future for, for you, Ryan? So um, you mentioned that you've you've lifted a number of stones. What What was the number of? 
do you call them manhood stones? Yeah, manhood stones or historic stones. I've yeah. lifted uh, 47 worldwide that are historic stones, uh, including Denny Stones, Husafel Stone, and me and my bu good buddy uh, Nick Whalen and Mark Prouse opened up Sweden this last year, and we lifted 20 stones over there, all new to the rest of the world. And I'll tell you what, th there's not a lot of people in Sweden that really knew they were there either. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun opening up a brand new country to the to the rest of the world. Definitely. And do do you have um, do you have plans to? I know you, you said you're going to do a bit more travel, maybe maybe Iceland and the Faroe Islands. Do you have plans to come back to to Scotland at all? I mean, I I assume you, you do a lot of coaching. Would, would you ever plan on maybe taking people around to do some of the stones? You know, in a sort of almost like a coach slash guide yeah I, I've, I've definitely thought about doing that and scotland is always high on the list i, I absolutely love it over there and uh there, there's still some stones that i need to lift in scotland and I, i'd really like to take my family over the next time i go my wife and my kids and you know they, they've talked about wanting to go do that but uh yeah I, I would like to take people over there and show them where they are and Kind of, because there's definitely an etiquette to that too, and you can't be rough with the stones. But more than anything, I'd love to go and lift again with James Graham. I have a tremendous respect, tremendous amount of respect for James and what he does and what he has done, and and uh, I would really like to go lift with him and Martin again. Ryan, just to ask you a question, you said that the stones you sort of rediscovered uh, in Sweden, some of the locals didn't know they were there. So how the hell yeah. did you know they were there? <laughs> so, man, I've got this down to a science at this point. It is incredibly hard, and it usually takes me 12 months to completely get everything figured out. And for what I do is is I there's a lot of history books and stuff that are online, and you look for keywords. Well, the problem is, is knowing what the keyword is for that country as to what a manhood or historical testing stone is. And it's, it's really hard to find those keywords. But when you find one, you're good. And it opens up this Pandora's box of a million different stones it's just so hard because I'm having to, to translate from these other languages. So I'll drag stuff over from, uh, from, we'll say, Swedish, put it in the Google Translate into English, and then I have to study through the English. So it is quite the process. It's pretty extensive. I can't even tell you the amount of hours I put in on it. But, um, yeah, it is blows my mind. I get hit on both YouTube, on social media, getting asked from people in Sweden saying, hey, where are these stones? Can you help me find them? It just blows my mind. Some guys live right down the street, and they have no idea these historic stones are there. That's honestly incredible, and an incredible amount of uh, dedication from yourself. I guess this could be an opportunity that if anyone ever listens to this and you know of a manhood stone anywhere in the world, no matter how obscure, please contact this man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And no matter how obscure, even if it's just a lead. Yeah, if you, I'm, I've gotten pretty good at it. If you can give me even a small lead, I should be able to find it. <laughs>
Um, just just to sort of wrap up now, Ryan. This is a question we like to throw in towards the end. How have the heavy events in the Highland Games changed from when you first started as to now? What what are the defining factors you would say have changed or perhaps switched a gear? Uh, without a doubt, the ability to learn now is much easier with social media, with uh, YouTube, with the amount uh, of information that is uploaded onto the internet. It's a much easier process to learn where when me and Sink were coming up, uh, we still had dial-up internet at that time. And, <laughs> I still uh, do. Oh, I, I believe it. <laughs> but yeah, it was much harder to learn back then. You really had to have somebody to teach you. Uh, there was very little video. I mean, there was the Ryan Vieira DVDs, which I still have. And th- those were a great resource for learning. But more than anything, it, it's just the ability to, to get information now is way easier. Uh, we really had to work for it back in the day. And yeah, it's, it's nice. It's nice to be able to use that as a coach too. And the fact that there's a, a, a video on everybody's phone now, I can have everybody across the world send me video and I can break it down and just never had that ability before. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting how everyone's sort of opinion uh, changes and, what what has sort of stuck with me is is what you said you know just a few minutes ago about perhaps the games in America changing away from there being you know quite a quite a lot of pro games maybe going back to their amateur uh, their amateur roots. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that does develop. Um, just just I meant to mention this earlier. There are sixty one SHGA member games in Scotland that you can be randomly tested at, and that can be any event. If you sign up, you sign essentially a like a would it be a disclosure a, 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 you sign a form that says if you, you're competing you can be tested um, so there's 61 member games and I think that list is uh, slowly growing every year as some of the games uh, maybe some of the more obscure or the amateur games are starting to draw into the SHGA umbrella yeah that's that's great to hear and it was funny because when me and Nathan came over yeah, we fully anticipated being uh, tested, especially at Hallkirk, being that it was like a mini world championship. And yeah, we were surprised to actually not get tested while we were there. I mean, I have to say, my experiences in the last few years is the the testers do like I, I believe they do sort of draw games and then they'll draw events and then they'll draw like numbers as to what event and who finishes where. And I've seen them turn up at some of the biggest events where you'd expect them. And I've also been at some of the most obscure events where they turn up, and that is genuinely a random draw. Um, so yeah, I've heard uh, stories of Harry Hancock being uh, <laughs> tested regularly, and I think we all know Harry is not on drugs. <laughs> Depends what kind you mean. Depends <laughs> on what kind. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, no, Ryan, I think it, it, it's been great having you on. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about your transition from. Uh, from lifting into throwing and, and now coaching, you're obviously still very active with, with your stone lifting. Um, where can people find you if, if they do want to get in touch about the stones or maybe for some programming? Um, where's the best place to get hold of you? Uh, you know, on social media is always good for me, uh, both Instagram and Facebook. And uh, there's also our work email for Black Flag Strength and Fitness. Uh, my personal email is uh, stuartstrength at hotmail.com 
And yeah, if anybody needs any help or has any leads on the stones, I'm 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 there. Yeah, well, I guess at this point, Ryan, all I can say is uh, it's been absolutely fabulous uh, capture, catching up, and thank you for coming on and just sharing your experience and uh, just uh, bantering back and forth, basically. Yeah, oh, I got a bone to pick with you real quick. So when we were in uh, uh, St. Andrews, what's with you only throwing hammer and then just leaving? Uh, I'm not sure what was the situation there. What year was that? In St. Andrews. 2015, St. Andrews. 2015. I, I mean, honestly, at this point, I don't know if I could tell you. Was it miserable weather? <laughs> no, it was beautiful. I, I mean, reckon it was big. big I've, money I've, pro- I've probably, I've probably turned around as like a twenty-one, twenty-two-year-old. I've earned my money in the hammers and went. This, this isn't for me. Terrible. Yeah, I was like, man, he threw some bombs in the hammers and then went home. <laughs> I, I did, I did mean to mention this, but when you were, when you were over, Ryan, I mean, I, I know you knew more sort of where your trip came to an end, wasn't it? Um, oh man! I, I believe yeah. you were warming up for the light putt, and you you took a you took a cannonball to the leg. Yeah, uh, junior thrower uh, th- threw a shot put right into the middle of a group of us, and it happened to hit me oh. right on the inside of my right knee. And uh, it that was probably one of the most painful things of my entire life. I was lucky; I had a real thick seven millimeter knee brace or uh knee sleeve on that cushioned it just a little bit but um i actually finished out the day and ended up winning there in newton more but uh oh man yeah that was that was a very hard day and that was the only games i really got rained on all day and uh, i was supposed to throw at the bridge of allen the next day and ended up having to cancel the rest of my my games because I could hardly move my knee. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Bridge of Allen. I can remember uh, Nathan coming the next day and he was standing talking to someone and I taped, I, I, you know, throwing tape, I taped a load of like cans and stuff to the back of him so when he was walking it was like a, a just married car <laughs> and he had no idea. He would love it. He's, he's commonly uh, referred to as Nathan Burchett here so... <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nathan's the best. And if there's anybody that's good to do that trick too, that's him. He's a good guy, Nathan. Nathan was at uh, Minnesota that year as well, 2009. You know, he was also there when I was there. <laughs> and I think that was, was even he? 2011, I think. Yeah. So it was uh, interesting. So yeah, Ryan, once again, uh, thank you very much for coming on, sharing your experiences, and uh, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. Great catching up. Uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to see you guys again in person one day, and hopefully that'll be soon. Good stuff. Cheers, Ryan. Take it easy. Thank you, folks. Very good, guys. Thank you so much.